0: Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Philemon is where we're going to finish our study. We began this morning. And so, if you'll turn in the text there, We'll head that direction and just kind of wrap things up tonight. I mentioned one more thought. We noticed this morning that this story of a runaway who left from Colossae, a thousand plus miles up to Rome, where he tried to get away from it all. His responsibilities as a slave in the household of Philemon. He was arrested. The best day of his life was when he was arrested, either by his conscience or by someone else. And God slowed him down, brought him into the company, of the Apostle Paul, where he was saved gloriously by the testimony of this great Apostle. And then, this little book, only 25 verses, is really the, uh, the wonderful, merciful uh, story of how compassion captured this slave and brought him back to full usefulness. Do you remember what his name meant? Onesimus was in a messimus. <laughs> his name meant what? profitable, useful, and he was anything but that as he absconded with some money, we think, took off for the hills and ended up in Rome. And Paul said, because of the grace of God, I've proved him now and he was formerly worthless and now he is profitable to you and to me. And that's kind of what we talked about this morning. Compassion is rooted in Christ's likeness. We saw the resume of Philemon for seven verses And what uh, what a resume he had, really. He said, every good thing is evidenced in you, as he was really, not the curator, but the host of the church there in Colossae and in his home, people knew about his refreshing spirit. He certainly did have joy like a river, peace uh, flowing through his heart, and people knew about that. And the reason he had that is because of Christ in him. Verse 6 says this, every good thing which is in you comes from your relationship with Christ Jesus. And then Paul, of course, makes an appeal. We looked at that, Paul's advocacy to forgive this runaway. Paul would send him back with the admonition to Philemon to forgive him. What's the hardest thing you have ever had to forgive? Or perhaps the most difficult person that has ever come to you asking for forgiveness. Maybe turn the coin, what's the most um, difficult thing you've ever had to ask someone for forgiveness, the cancellation of a debt. Well, Paul begins his intercession or his pleading for this man to forgive. Uh, Philemon's character reminds us of just the refreshment that comes from a reconciling spirit. In verses 8 through about 14, we talked about what Paul did to advocate for this man. He uh, certainly Um, compassion in his life was revealed, as I mentioned this morning, by his engagement and his involvement with this slave. There was a proving time. And so before Paul sent Onesimus back to his master, Philemon in Colossae, he did this. He began to vouch for him. As he saw the transformation in his life because of the gospel, he said, I I I stand for you, I vouch for you, I stand beside you, and his commendation ends up by saying, I'm willing to stand in this slave's place. If he owes you anything, I will repay it, put it to my account. That's kind of where we left it this morning. Compassion is revealed by our involvement. I wonder, before we jump into the last point tonight, I wonder to what extent. Are you engaged in uh, helping others with a compassionate uh, attitude? Who are you bringing along? To what extent are you engaged in discipling and loving someone who is less than or has been less than faithful in his life? And it's important to remember that as we stand at the base of the cross, there is no sin that any, any person can do against us That is is greater than the sins and offenses we we have done against the lovely Lord Jesus who died in our place. Interesting to think about. Who are you interceding for, involved with, engaged with, compassionate about? And certainly Paul didn't have to do this. He could have said, listen, now that you've gotten saved, Onesimus, I need somebody to help me around here. It sure is good to have another friend in jail. But he did what was right and sent him back. Let's pick up the reading uh, in verse 15 of this one chapter epistle. We're going to look now at the last point, really. Compassion is rewarded uh, rewarded by reconciliation. And that's really the goal of our compassion. Beginning in verse 15, for he perhaps, speaking of Onesimus Paul here, He perhaps has departed for a season uh, that you should receive him forever, that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant or slave, but above a servant, a brother now in Christ, beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore as a partner, a partner in ministry, receive him as myself here's almost this idea of when I come I'm placing my heart into this uh, I've, I've given this thing my heart and he's coming he's bringing my my heart with him so when he receives he gets on your doorstep even though he's offended and violated even perhaps taken some of your money I want you to receive him back as myself what a picture of Christ that is verse 18 if he hath wronged thee or owes thee aught, anything put that on my account I, Paul, apparently Paul picked up the, the quill or whatever and begins to write these final words with his own hand and signs this letter. I will repay it. It's in my own handwriting. Albeit, here's a little side note, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self. Besides, spiritually speaking, the Lord, uh, Lord had used Paul to lead Philemon to the Lord perhaps in his campaign in Ephesus, which wasn't far from Colossae. Yea, brother, let me have the joy in thee and the Lord. Refresh my heart, or bowels in the Lord, having confidence in thy obedience. having confidence. Let me say that again, having confidence in thy obedience. I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say, but withal prepare for me a lodging also, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. We believe that Paul was able... To get out of jail for a spell there in Rome before he was eventually brought back in and then executed in that area, but with all pray, excuse me, prepare for me a lodging that I will I trust to be released soon by your prayers be given unto you. Then he ends this little epistle by saying to Philemon to greet those around him, Epaphras and of course. Marcus, Aristarchus, some of these are with Paul, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So in other words, this is a young man, I'm guessing he's fairly young, this runaway slave who is captured by Paul's compassion. I don't know, I'm going to kind of introduce things tonight by by an illustration that's a little more lengthy. I'm going to read most of it to you. I don't know if you ever heard the story of the pilot that led in the attack against Pearl Harbor. The enemy pilot, of course, from Japan, uh, and I wanted to just read this story. Some of you may have heard about it. It's a Japanese man by the name of Mitsu Fushida. He's a 39-year-old Navy pilot. His idol at the time was Adolf Hitler, and he was selected to lead the raid against the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor. Of course, some of you know that day. Sunday, December the 7th, 1941. It was a daring, bold, well-calculated attack. Rashida's plane was hit several times by ground fire, but he survived the raid. In less than two hours, for those of you who don't remember this history very well, 2,400 American sailors and soldiers, civilians, were killed. Another 1,200 wounded. Aircraft losses to us totaled 188 And most of the U.S. Pacific fleet was destroyed. This, of course, led into our involvement, the U.S.'s involvement in World War II, and finally the devastation of Japanese cities like Hiroshima, Nagasaki, by our atomic weapons, where around 200,000 people died from radiation exposure. After the war, Kushida took up farming near Osaka in Japan. His mind was haunted by the memories of the deaths that he had caused and witnessed. He wanted, uh, as he was living there, he wanted to write a book called No More Pearl Harbors. His guilt was immense, and he wanted to urge the world uh, to live more peaceably, but he could not find a compelling principle upon which true peace would be founded. What could be, he thought, a compelling reason for world peace? Well, Mitsu Fushida heard about the returning Japanese prisoners of war from America. And he began to uh, kind of talk to them and interview them. And he heard about a young American girl named Peggy Koval who at the time was only about 20 years of age, who on her own decided to attend the Japanese prisoners of war who were captured and incarcerated here in America. They were in the war camps. The Japanese prisoners were amazed that this girl, Peggy, would do what she was doing. She brought them magazines, newspapers, medicine, cared for their every need. She helped the sick. She helped them every way she could, and it went on for days and weeks and months. Finally, she was asked by somebody, a prisoner of war from Japan, she said, why would an American ever do such a thing as this? Why are you so kind to us? Well, they were amazed at her answer. Her answer was simple, because my parents were killed by the Japanese army, well, such a statement might shock a person from any culture, but it was incomprehensible to the Japanese. In their society, no offense could be greater than the murder of one's parents. Peggy tried to explain her motives. She said her parents had been missionaries in the Philippines, and when the Japanese invaded the islands, her parents escaped to the mountains in North Luzon for safety. In due time, however, they were discovered, the Japanese charged them with being spies and told them that that they would be put to death. They earnestly denied that they were spies, told them that they were missionaries, but the Japanese could not be convinced. They planned their execution anyway, and they were executed. Peggy herself did not hear about her parents' death until after the war was over. When the report of their death reached her, her first reaction, as you can imagine, was intense anger, bitter hatred. She was furious with grief, sorrow, indignation. Thoughts of her parents' last hours filled her heart with great sorrow. She envisioned them on that day. Trapped, wholly at the mercy of their captors, no way out. She saw the merciless brutality of the soldiers. She saw them facing the Japanese executioners, falling lifeless to the ground in that far-off Philippine mountain. Then... Peggy began to consider her parents' selfless love for the Japanese people. Gradually, she became convinced that they had been forgiven, that the people that God had called them to love and serve were worth loving and serving. Then it occurred to her that if her parents had died without bitterness or rancor towards their executioners, why should her attitude be any different? Should she be filled with hatred when they had been filled with love and forgiveness? Her answer could only be, definitely not. Therefore, she chose the path of love and forgiveness. She decided to minister to the Japanese prisoners of war in a nearby POW camp as proof of her sincerity. Fushida, upon hearing this testimony from the returning prisoners of war, uh, began to understand or at least be impressed with the fact that this is a possible reason for peace in our hearts. So what he did is he began to search for a Japanese Bible. And so he found one and he began to read it little by little every day. He got through the Gospel of Luke and he was so impressed. In fact, in September of 1949, after obtaining a copy of the Bible and reading through it, he got to the Gospel of Luke the last, near to the last chapter and he read about the crucifixion. And he read about the fact that on the cross Christ cried out in the face of his own impending death and torture Father forgive them they know not what they do and he understood that that God the God of this missionary girl by the name of Peggy Koval could be his too. And so this all came unto, alive as he read Luke's gospel in the midst of the horror of Christ's death, he cried out, Father, forgive them. As Jesus hung there, he prayed not only for his persecutors, but for all humanity. And Fushida understood that meant him as well. And so he prayed at that moment to receive Christ as his Savior, the man who led the attack. Pearl Harbor ultimately became a Christian. Well, He ended up writing the book that he had started earlier. Only this time it had a new title. It was entitled From Pearl Harbor to Golgotha. And his life verse, which he signed under every copy that he signed, was Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is really the theme of Philemon. Not just forgiveness but restoration or reconciliation. So this morning we looked at a couple principles. The fact that compassion is rooted in Christ's likeness. And then, of course, that compassion is revealed in our engagement in actual people that need our compassion. And who doesn't? Paul befriends this runaway, Onesimus, and over time leads him to Christ. And then Paul spiritually adopts him, appeals to the master of Onesimus, as an advocate, we saw that in the earlier verses 8 through 13. And he stood beside him through it all, proved him, and then he's ready now to send him back. Verse 18 says, I'm willing to pay his debt. Put it on my account. Paul said, if he owes you, charge me. And tonight's principle is simply this. Compassion is rewarded. Not always, but that's the goal of it. It's rewarded through our own steps and efforts to reconcile Folks, to Christ and to one another. God has called you, do you know this? God has called each one of you to be reconcilers. He's given us, what does the Bible say? The ministry of reconciliation. What is so sad to me is that churches, good churches like ours, are often filled with what I call smoldering relationships. Where there's never been this this attitude of grace and the spirit of of reconciliation applied. You know, we're all gonna have conflicts. The Bible said man is born to troubles what? As the sparks fly upward. But the, the truth is, peace comes by the presence of those that exhibit a reconciling spirit, and Paul did that for us. What a treasure this little book is. And he approaches compassion with this idea: I would like to be rewarded by seeing you on Not just do this. Okay, I'm a long way away from the problem. And Lord, I've asked for your forgiveness. And so I'm just going to hang out in Rome and forget the past. No, Paul said, I want you to go back. I want you to settle this. Is there any verse in the Bible that reminds us of that? Matthew chapter 5, doesn't it say that? Verse 24, if you come to worship. Again, this is a translation, just a paraphrase, when you come to worship and remember that your brother has an offense against you, what are you to do? Drop your gift, in the Greek it's a chain, you leave it at the altar, because there is a priority that precedes worship, and that is you have got to do everything you can to be reconciled. And so Paul, he says, you know what, let's do everything to to find this great reward in uh, forgiveness and confession and and find the ultimate goal is reconciliation. I, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this in your house. It's happened all the time as our kids were growing up. We're seeing it now in our grandkids. But sometimes there's these battles between siblings, right? And there's this great outcry from the living room or wherever they are. A fight ensues and tears and squabbles. And you, call, you, you come in. You convene court as a parent. Bring them into the center, right? Bring them to the middle, and maybe, Mom, it's you or Dad, whoever happens to be there, maybe both of you. And you say, now, now, now Johnny, what did you do? And Johnny says, I, I, I pulled my brother's hair. And, of course, the brother's crying. Well, let's sit to the south. He's Bubba. Okay, he's Bubba. Bubba, is that true? Yes. Big tears. Yes, he did. He pulled my hair. It hurt. And so, Mom, and this happened in our home, too, in the mission field. Uh, so don't feel bad. Maybe it happens in your home, Mom would say. Now, all right. I want you to confess. What, tell him, what did you do? I pulled your hair. I know. <laughs> and now I want you to say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now, my mother would do this. I don't know if you as a parent ever did this, but my mother would say, now. Not Bubba and Johnny, but it was Lauren and Larry and Lyle and Len and all the L's. And All right, I want you to, I want you to say I forgive him. I forgive him, kind of. Now, boys, shake hands. Now, boys, hug each other. You know, there's that cold. And then off to the corner of the ring we would go, smoldering as it was a forced confession and a forced forgiveness. And there was really no real reconciliation Established when someone forces that, right? And Paul himself in verse 8 says this, he said, I could force this thing, wherefore I might be bold in Christ to order or enjoin thee to do that which is proper or convenient. Forced confession, forced forgiveness really never binds or holds true reconciliation, which is the repair or the restoration of a relationship. And the reason this is such a wonderful book is that Paul took it upon himself to encourage these two men to do more than admit. More than, uh, Onesimus especially, the violator, more than to admit and confess. More, and he does more with uh, Philemon than to say, Philemon, I, I really hope sometime when he gets there that you'll be nice to him. Be nice. Kind of let this thing go. No. He, he is going to oversee a reconciliation. Let's find out what that means tonight. Because Paul is a great example. He blesses us with his own example of what it takes to be a reconciler. And so I believe, as I mentioned earlier, churches are full of broken relationships, just like perhaps the two brothers I mentioned and relationships, even in a good church, can be a stalemate. I have decided simply to coexist with my husband or my wife, but not to repair or restore the relationship. And there's great evidence from history. By the way, You want the end of the story before we get there. There's great evidence from history, uh, though we can't be dogmatic about this, that this slave, Onesimus, returned now I mentioned this morning, I doubt God would have canonized or the folks would have canonized this book of the Bible if on the way home, uh, Onesimus would have just uh, taken another track and never gone back to make things right but i I think this is a a letter that 's useful to the church because God built again in the lives of these two men a real example of reconciliation, but there's a there 's evidence by uh, from history, from a man by the uh, really a church father by the name of Ignatius, who was on his way to be to Rome to be executed, and he writes a little note as he passes by Ephesus, and it's interesting historically to think what might could have happened here. And here's what he says: fifty years after this, he writes this. He said, "I received your large congregation in the person of Onesimus, your bishop or pastor." a man whose love is beyond words could that have been this guy this same slave there's great evidence that perhaps he would have been quite an old man in his 70s perhaps or 80s at the time but it could have been a great ending to this wonderful epistle and i and i love the fact that there's reconciliation here and reconciliation is hard work but our, our our last point tonight is simply this compassion is rewarded By reconciliation, what does that mean? First of all, of course, we mentioned that this morning, Paul's own example. We talked about his coming alongside, his witness, and then his recommendation, and finally his ability or willingness as an example of Christ to stand in his stead. That's hard work. And and folks, if our church is going to grow and move forward based on our example of love, it's going to take hard work. You're going to have to do the hard work of loving on folks that aren't lovely, going the extra mile, taking under wing, mentoring, shepherding, and doing the hard thing of loving the runaways, corralling them, bringing them back to Christ. And that's not a one-time deal. Paul spent some time with this. So his example then, we see it in his expectation, verse 21. I'm going to jump towards the end here. But this is kind of exciting to me because Paul as a good parent or pastor, doesn't just say, I hope you guys work this out. Do you see this? Look at what he does. Verse 20 and 21. "Yea, brother. Talking now, Paul to Philemon, the slave owner. Let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence. What does your Bible say? Having confidence in thy... Oh... Good feelings about this. No. Do you know that the restoration of a relationship is God's will for us as believers? And Paul was in earnest about this, and his expectation wasn't just to love on Onesimus for a while and have some good talks with him, good advice. He was in earnest about sending him back and restoring the relationship. Repairing it so that it again would work as God intended it. And so he says this, verse 20, I have confidence in thy obedience. And I write unto you knowing that I know because of what your character is and Christ in you, I know that you will do more than I say. This does not mean that when Onesimus arrived back in Colossae, it does not mean that he was all immediately released from being a slave and all that, it does mean that when when he arrived on the porch, that Paul expected as a good parent and a good pastor who's going to see this thing through, he expected Philemon to love him again. And love supersedes your feelings about someone. I could never do that. I could never love them again. Paul isn't talking about feelings here. He says, I am so confident that you will obey You've been called to the ministry of reconciliation, Philemon. That's what a Christian is all about. And then, if you don't think he's expecting, he he not only expects this, right? I have confidence in thy obedience. I've got full expectation that you uh, will obey this need to be restored. And you will do more than I say. And then he says, I'm not only going to expect it, I'm going to follow through and inspect it. And that's kind of the third phase of a reconciler. He's got the example. He's got the expectation of coming together, loving again. And, he's, and then he says this, and you can, you can bank on this. If I ever get out of this jail, and I hope to, and he did, I'm going to come. So I'm coming to the Airbnb, Philemon, and I'm coming. Get me a room ready because I want to see how you and Onesimus are holding hands together in the faith. Wow. I wonder in our circles, who is it that is that serious about repairing relationships? I'll give you some good advice. I'll write you a sweet note. I'll pat you on the back and say, I hope you get through that. But will you walk with me all the way to the end of the, the goal of this? where together, two folks formerly broken in a relationship. And I I don't know how many of us tonight are just coexisting with relationships that are broken, are in maintenance mode, or what I call in smolder mode, bitter, and yet you know that you can't run away, you can't go to Rome, you can't leave the marriage, and yet you know that this is just... How it's going to have to be all of our lives because we've acquiesced, we've submitted ourselves to never, ever reconciling. We're just going to try to forget about it. We're not going to think about it. We're just going to grind our way through. God never intended that. And Paul tells us by his own example that I'm going to send you back. And the reason I'm sending you back to where you had that violation or offense is because you have got to work this out. Don't wait till you get to heaven to allow the Lord to kind of sort this out. Paul had this intense desire for this runaway to make the trip 1,200 plus miles back home. And then not only for him to make the trip, himself, Paul, wanted to return as well and to make sure they were getting along. Isn't that great? What a great story of a reconciler. In fact, we see it in the ministry of Paul, not just here. Can you think of anywhere else where Paul was energized to bring fighting, and feud and Christians back together? Can anybody think of any other place in the Bible? Philippians chapter 2, or school 4, verse 2. Iodius, Syntyche. Ladies, get along. Work together to the church at Corinth. He says, don't be divided. Strive together, not with one another. Together for the gospel's sake. And then he says, "This, if you are a quarreling church, we have no such custom in the house of the Lord." I mean, I remember. I mean, I wonder how many uh, business meetings uh, have just turned the heart of God away, as he looked in shame at how good fundamental folks. And good Baptist churches can't seem to work things out according with a gracious spirit. Somebody needs to initiate that. Will you be that person? Will you be the chief repenter, the first one that, say, that says, "Honey, our hearts aren't right." And the Bible says, "What? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath or offense?" Let's work this out because the goal of this, the goal of compassion, is to be reconciled one with another. Ephesians 4:32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Stop acting like you have never been forgiven. Can you think of all the people that you owe a debt to? I, I, I mean, you think about it. Not just a, a sin debt, but I think about people that I just owe. Onesimus owed a great debt. And it would be easy to say, well, you need to go pay that off. But All of us are debtors, aren't we? Paul took the lead in this with the goal of reconciliation. If you do not forgive men, Matthew six fifteen, then your Father in heaven will not forgive you, your transgressions. Imagine that. You say, I can't ever forgive that person. Well, you've just cut yourself off from the... Great grace and mercy of God. You ought to forgive as Christ forgave. So Paul took the lead. He was first an example, verses 1 through 19, standing for, beside, in the place of. He then fully expected this to happen, calling on Philemon to follow through and to obey this command for reconciliation. And then to make sure he said, I'm coming to inspect this thing to see if you men are working things out. 2 Corinthians 5.18 will be our verse as we close. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Don't wait for that brother or sister to come to you. You initiate it. You take care of it. If there's something outstanding, a debt that you need to pay, forgiveness that you need to render, a heart that needs to be repaired and restored. Reconcile that thing. Reconciliation is to mend that broken bone, to fix it, to heal it, to make it work again for the glory of God. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.